is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. Could it be Mr. Dylan Fournier? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, no Pete to Heat tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. Could it be that the Toronto Maple Leafs listen to Offside Hockey Talk? I say this with a laugh because Dylan was asking who may listen. Well, he may not have won the draw last night, but sure as damn hell, there was Mr. David Camp on the ice for the overtime when I'm pretty sure that I was told I was out to lunch. Why would you ever do that? Well, they did it. They did it. They did it. They did it. And I absolutely love it. And yes, I will ring my own bell, toot my own horn, because I'm excited that it happened. That's fair. That is so fair. Not only did he start David Camp, he started him with two defensemen. Isn't that something? So obviously what they were hoping to do was win the draw and be defensively smart with the puck and allow their players offensively to get onto the ice after having a calm possession to start overtime. But they didn't need it. They got a high stick, and they still won the game anyways. But the other good part is the least point streak continues. That's now 13 straight games with a point for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mitch Marner's streak is up to 22. Go listen to some Taylor Swift if you want to get really hyped. And, yes, we will talk about the L.A. Kings game. We'll talk about the Flames game. We'll talk about the Sutter comments and a few other things. But this is Offside Hockey Talk. That right there is Mr. D4 Dylan Fournier. Make sure you go follow him. Pete the Heat is in the IR. The sick bay tonight couldn't make it. That's okay. But we are proudly brought to you by our friends over at Boxing Rock Brewing Co. The absolute big beer for the big game or the big podcast, whatever you want to do. One second for the uh, sweet release. Glug, 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 glug. Absolutely delicious. Refreshing every time. Much like the Toronto Maple Leafs week that was. And yes, let's ring the horn, tap the bell for Mr. Dilly. As he called it, the Leafs went 2-0. He did it. He did the damn thing like he was supposed to do. We believe the Leafs would go 1-0-1, me and Pete. And of course, Dylan said, nope, I have to be different. Because you guys took what I wanted to say, yep. and at least go two and zero, and they did, and they did, they did, I and they it. they did it exactly how I said. They broke the OT drought. They did. That was a huge, huge hashtag prediction season move by Dilly right there. All right, so the week that was, we beat Dallas. We've already gone over that game. We don't need to beat that horse anymore. The LA Kings game, Sonar locked it down. For the Toronto Maple Leafs, which was absolutely awesome to see. Back-to-back shutouts. Sonar looking good, tracking all the pucks, doing everything we need him to do. Timely saves when the Leafs need it. Leafs get the challenge one. We'll talk about that in a moment. The worst part, though, was in the first period, watching a young Nick Robertson go flying through the air like Santa and his reindeer, except there wasn't a soft landing for this man. Landed, and he's now out six to eight weeks with a shoulder injury. There is no surgery, luckily, but he will not be with the Leafs for a long time. The good thing here is, if you want to call it that, and we'll talk about this a little later, there's a player who will get, quote, from Sheldon Keefe, 
a lot of runway in the future, end quote. So we'll see what happens there. What did you think about the Robertson hit? It wasn't dirty. It was just a hit that was awkward. And these things happen. It seems to happen to Nick Robertson a lot with the leg, now the shoulder. We have to start asking the question, is this guy just injury-plagued? I'm disappointed. I... I just wanted this guy to catch a break. Honestly, he's he's tried so hard to crack this lineup. He's just been getting injury after injury, and he he went into that corner and and he goes into corners pretty hard and he battles his heart out. He's not the tallest, he's not the strongest, but he will go into that corner with as much heart as anybody in the NHL. Yeah, um, he took on a. I'm not sure how big – I think it's Matt Roy, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how big he is, but he is a solid defenseman. Awkward, awkward landing. Looks like it was either collarbone or dislocated shoulder by the looks of it. Um, but, man, like, I just – I really hope that he's fine, he's good, and he can come back from this because there's uh, – there's obviously been some debate whether or not we should trade him at times. And I really hope for his career that he can, he can be successful moving forward and not be so injured. No, I agree with you. And just to touch on Robertson quickly before we shift gears to another part of this game, the Robertson injury sucks and every injury he seems to get seems to be a long injury. It's not a short term thing with Nick Robertson. It's always something on the bigger end of the scale. I'm starting to wonder, and I've been the biggest pumper of his tires. You know that. I love what Nicky Bobby can bring. So excited for the kid. I'm starting to wonder if he has a place with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm just wondering this because it does seem like he doesn't fit into their top six. He's not clicking fully. You know, he's a great player. He can do amazing offensive things. But I don't think it's – I no longer feel like it's going to be in Toronto. I think that he is now going to be a trade chip. And it's not just because he got injured. I just think that they're going to look for a more bigger long-term solution in the top six. That's not him. And I know, Clarky. I know you're going to get all upset at me here. It's not Matthew Nyes that I'm thinking of. I'm talking about going on a, a deal bender here and going and get someone like a Tyler Bertuzzi – if he doesn't fit in and they lacks the vaccination stuff in Detroit, because he apparently does not seem to be getting signed there. Stevie Y will not meet his request for a number. That's a player I'd like. Timo Meyer is another player who probably won't be staying with the Sharks. That's a player I like. Both of those players are tried, tested and true and will also get in your face and do different things physically with the body that Nick Robertson cannot do. So the Leafs have pretty much probably one big deal in the chamber that they can make this this go around to the deadline. So we know Kyle Dubas likes to tidy up his work early if he can. So if he's making a swing, it's got to be a swing for one of those type of players, a big-name player, and I think Nick Robertson will be a piece of that deal, whatever it is. So to me – you know, sorry, Nikki Bobby. I love the story. I want to see you do well. I want to see you succeed. But it just it isn't clicking. 
And maybe this is just some divine intervention to show you that it isn't going to work here, you know, but we'll see in two months. Now it's February when he gets back, right? Yeah. So and it's now you're, yeah, you're stretch driving it at that point. Yeah. You're looking to shore up what you need for the playoffs, not try to work a guy in and see if he still fits with your plan. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is it is frustrating. I, I I am pretty sure I even said it to my one, my one buddy watching watching the game the other day. I was like, I think that Robertson's time, even before the injury, that Robertson's time is gonna is gonna be short lived here. Um, uh, it, and it it is unfortunate. And I know that his heart comes from his brother in in, in every sense of the in every yep. sense of the word. He learns from his brother like there's no tomorrow his brother probably means a lot to him in his career and obviously like it's 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 a risk you're either you know you're either going to take on this guy you may or may not get injured and then you're gonna have you know a successful career with less injuries but it's it's a do we take the risk do we not take the risk at this point and I think that he might be that chip that helps us get those big guys. The only thing that I can say that I think of here and say, well, you know, this guy took a long time and look at the rewards of the waiting. And that's Timothy Lilligren. How many times did we say we're going to package this guy out? And now he's looking like a mainstay on the Maple Leafs blue line. Well, I shouldn't say looking like he is going to be a mainstay on this blue line. And that's because the Leafs took the time, had the patience, and Lilligren was injured a bunch too, remember? Oh, yeah. So, you know, is, is it saying, you know, looking in the mirror twice and saying, can we do this again? Will it happen again? I don't know. But anyways, we'll move on from the Nick Robertson. Wish him well. Wish him a best recovery. We'll see what happens. In the LA game, there was a fight. Zach Aston Reese dropping the gloves with a smaller guy. And I don't know if you noticed, Dylan, he didn't unload on the young fella. He did not unload. He could have. He could have pummeled the ever-loving hell out of him, but he didn't. He kind of just let him know that I have you. I can control this if I want to. Yeah. And Buddy kind of just, I wouldn't say turtled up, but he gave up pretty quickly once the flippers were off. So Who was it? Uh, I forget his name, his uh, young fella there. It wasn't, I, it wasn't after the Angval thing, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was before that. That just raised the temperature a little bit. But, yeah, I was pretty impressed by Zach Asteris. Most guys would have pummeled him, sent a message, let him know, don't drop your flippers. He kind of just manhandled him a little bit, let him know, you know, you're out of your weight class, you're out of your depth. You know, good on you for dropping the gloves, but just kind of sit down, little pony, and go back to your stall. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I, love that. I, You don't see it from him that often, but uh, I guess, you know, it was it was a moment where I was needed. It was. Well, just see. It kind of just set a tone, right? That hey, he won't take no shit either, which I like, and that's sort of what we've been seeing from Bunting, Bunting too. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, it looked like the Leafs were going to get goalie, and we know what happens when the Leafs start to put a lot of shots on a goaltender, and they don't get the results they're looking for. You know, they kind of either get lazy thinking the game is going to be handed to them, or they get frustrated and start cheating the play to try to make something happen. The Leafs didn't do that in this game. They stuck with their plan, and boy, howdy, did it ever come to them in the second period. Three goals in, I think, a minute and six seconds, I think it was, 
for a minute 46 or something. Yeah, I think that it was, was absolutely three. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome to see. Like Angval scores that looping, swooping kind of goal that gets scooped into the net. David Camp and then we Willie Nylander. Oh. I mean, Willie. Hello, Willie. Welcome to the big league, son. Hell yeah. Sign me up for whatever you're on, buddy. Also, you Ingvall scoring that goal was on the second power play unit for the Leafs. It was. By the way. So you look at that one and you say, hmm, maybe give them a little bit more time. And guess who fed him the biscuit? Mr. Connor Timmons. <laughs> who in the L.A. game had elevated power play minutes. He did. With him and Rasmus Sandin. When in the Dallas game and the Calgary game, he had mere 40 seconds in each game for the power play. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, someone did his homework. I know all this now like the back of my hand, which is very nice. But yes, Angval scoring on that second power play unit, absolutely important and huge. Why is that? Because it takes the pressure off the top unit, which we've seen in the Calgary game, which we will get to, yes, again. But yeah, I like the fact that Angval scores there. I like the way that Timmons is playing with the Leafs. He's getting more and more comfortable, a little more physical, a little better moving the puck and doing different things. What do you see so far from Connor Timmons here in the small sample size we've got him? Connor Timmons is like obviously I like I don't notice him a lot, which is really good, but I've noticed him in those big key physical plays. A lot. He steps up at the right moments on the blue line, like our blue line, and makes the hit, um, and, and kind of puts guys in their in their place. He's somebody that is physical when applicable. Um, he is he, he's somebody that I I feel like is kind of Labushkin esque. Obviously, Labushkin didn't um, play power play uh, minutes, but um, for sure a a young player that I feel like the Leafs. Feel like they can they can grab onto him and develop him the way that they want him to be developed. Yeah, he's an RFA too, so that is a player they do have some control over as well. So he's not just walking out of the organization. Uh, another good thing here in the LA game, when David Camp scores, the Leafs have yet to lose a game in regulation. Which means when David Camp scores, you're getting at least one point in the old tally box which is pretty damn nice. Love David Camp's game. I beat the drum with Clarkie last summer when the signing happened. I said, this guy is going to be important. Sheldon Keefe finally got his defensive center he was looking for. And man, oh man, even starting him in OT, he is the man, the man that he wanted to have back there. Um, and speaking of being the man, there's two here. Mitch Marner again extends the streak here to 21 games in this game. Beautiful. Love it. Pumped up for Mitchie. But the one I'm pumped up the most about, and it's going to start scaring teams. Sheldon Keefe was calling the LA Kings goal back before they even got to the bench to celebrate. The Leafs are, I believe, if I'm right, either 9 of 10 or 9 of 11. I haven't nailed down the exact number this season. So you are operating over a 90% clip. On your callbacks. So if the Leafs are challenging you, better watch. You're pretty much gonna lose that goal. It's pretty much done. I love the confidence on the bench so much that I even synced it up to still DRE because it looked like he was just vibing 
because yep. he knew what was coming. Yep. But I like that. I like the fact that the Leafs have all the money in the world to do these other things. So TV's in the floor. I've never seen that anywhere else. I think it's becoming a mainstay thing around the ranks. But they got three or four TVs on the floor for coaches to look down at immediately. Then they got the war room upstairs. And apparently from Daryl Sutter, they got the NHL as well. So we will get there. But, yeah, no, I love it when Keith calls things back. Uh, you know what's going to be going. Matthews and Lee Lander, they're both on fire. The thing about this game, so at least win it 5 nothing. Sean Dersey paid for 200 tickets for his friends and family, and this has been the running joke, to listen to a Hollow Notes concert because that's what it was. He got to listen to that song five times. But the thing that left a stain on the game was the Angval Dersey incident with the sticks. I have been all over this one a little bit. Some people say that if Engvall didn't do what he did, Dersey would have got him with a stick in the head and in the suspension maybe the other way around. If some what's or candies and nuts, the NHL is always going to crack down when a stick is swung near your head and it connects because there was intent. Even if he let up, realizing, oh, shit, I'm going to get shit, he let up, but it still hit him. You got to give him the game. I said two. I thought that's what he was going to get. What did you feel in that situation, Dylan? Um, yeah, I, initially I was like, that doesn't seem as hard as what I what I think it should be or what it initially would have been. Um, and it, I hate to say this, but like it, it did kind of seem like uh, Sean kind of like sold it. Oh, he did. He soccer died. The least bench and all the fans and everyone gave it to him the rest of the game. Every time he skated by the least bench, they were all over him. Yeah. By the way, can I do a sidebar here? How loud has the Scotiabank Arena been? Oh. I haven't heard it that loud. It's insane. No, it is. It is insane. It was it was good to hear, but man, like it it would like imagine it's you, like. You're on the ice. You just bought tickets for your whole family to come and watch you play, and you're getting booed on basically what your home home rink would be. And you once were a Leaf at at, at one point, which you know it it does suck, but uh, it, I guess it is what it is. He he's obviously was probably pretty frustrated with the fact that he was losing and and he, his family was there, but um, don't die like a soccer player. His mom was right into it. She was she was a trooper throughout the booze. I thought I thought that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, I wasn't happy for Mama Jersey. But at the same time, you come into enemy territory. They made a big hoopla on every radio show about how many tickets he got. That entire barn was waiting for him to do something just to get all over him. And I love, like I said, that the Leafs bench just went in on him. And you got punching, just riding them, <laughs> loving it. It was great. It was perfect. I didn't like the suspension, but I love the fact that everybody got into it. It was raucous. It was loud. It was perfect. Um, so we move on to the Calgary Flame game last night. Murray was not sharp, but I'm not here to crap on Murray. Okay. Let me just uh, read a couple things here for the Leafs goaltending, okay? So the Leafs goalies this year, 
They're fourth in the league in goals against at only 70 so far. Allowed. Not bad. Now, goals against average as a duo or trio, if you want to put Shelburne in, 0.241 goals against. Ranks third in the NHL. Third. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Now, last year we were upset because our team had an 898 save percentage as a team as a whole. The team right now is a 918 save percentage as a team this season, and that includes Eric Schalgren and what he was able and not able to do for the Toronto Maple Leafs. By the way, you want to hear a great stat? At 5-on-5, five five, the Maple Leafs goaltending is a whopping 940 save percentage. Let me repeat that. At five on five this season, the Leafs goaltending is a whopping 940 save percentage. Stay out of the box, boys. Both goalies are tops in the league with save percentage league-wide with Samsonov at a 933 and Murray at a 926. Both goalies are also nestled in the top 10 of goals against. With Sonar at 187 goals against average and Murray at a 250 goals against average. So if you want to sit there and say that Murray and Samsonov, by whatever stroke of measurement you want to use, are not good for the Toronto Maple Leafs, go back and listen to all of those stats and realize we have two, not one, two. And by the way, we're the only team with two goaltenders in the top 10 of statistical categories in more than one category in the NHL. So, yes, Murray did not have a good game against the Calgary Flames. But guess what? The team in front of him didn't have a good game against Dallas. And he stood on his ever-loving head and bailed them out, and they won the game. So what did they do? They repaid the favor. He didn't have a great game Saturday night. By the way, second Saturday night in a row, he didn't have a great game. Maybe Saturday nights are not his thing. But anyways, I digress. The Leafs picked them up. And they won the game. So let me tell you something. Vasilevsky, Allmark, go down the list of goaltenders in the league. Every single one of them have bad games. It's up to the team in front of them to pick up their goaltender on those nights. As much as it's on the goaltender to pick up his team and steal them game, when they have a bad night. There's a reason why they say goalies steal games. It's because the team in front of them is not having a great evening. So, park your biscuits. The Leafs goaltending is good. It's better than it's been in years as a whole. So just maybe sit down and read some stats. Have a coffee, crack open a beer, whatever you need to do, and just read some stats before you go firing off a tweet or making a, a video because Matt Murray had a bad game on a freaking Saturday night. I'm sorry, but they, what is Matt Murray still this season? He's what? I think seven, one and two, eight, one and two, nine, one and two. He's something one and two. It's way better than freaking blah. It just makes me mad that people would go on that thing. But anyways, thought I'd read some of those stats and let you just breathe that in a little bit. The one that jumped off the page to me is a 940 save percentage, five on five as a team this season. That is remarkable because we know in the playoffs, penalties are called way less. 
So you have a lot more five-on-five hockey. So that stat right there just kind of jumped at me. Because if you're playing five-on-five and the team's doing a 940 clip, you probably win in the game. Just putting that out there. Yeah. I I love this tandem, man. Like, to, to, to think about what we had last year, and let let let's think about if we kept that tandem for a second. Freaking Mrazic is currently injured, and Soupy is struggling to hold down a starting role. He's not a starter. He's a five million dollar backup. <coughs> what a lot of Edmonton fans are saying. He's a five million dollar backup. Sucks it to just to show you how good the Leafs D was. And you know what? You know what? I that's that's what I wanted to say. We have this save percentage, and I know like save percentage is on the goalies, but we have this save percentage with how many injuries on the back end? I know. I know. It's by commitment because they got everybody playing the style they want. Not to mention we have goaltenders who can make some saves. There's the thing, right? And I mean the D. As Gus Casaro said on this show a long time ago, you know, a shot on goal is the failure of the defense because a shot on goal is a failure of the defense to execute stopping a shot. What the Leafs are allowing teams to do is have low-danger shots. Yep, They're not shots from the slot. They're not a lot of shots from in close. Are there some? Yes, but they're way less than they used to be. A lot of them are muffin nothing shots, and these guys are getting the saves. Or they can see one thing I really like from Matt Murray and from from Sonar is they're looking around. It reminded me of Jonathan Quick when they won the cup that year, when he was getting low and really looking around players to make sure he could see the puck coming towards him. So yeah, I'm very happy with Matt Murray. Wasn't there a stat the other night? I I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure something popped up that Matt Murray had a game the other night that was like the best high scoring chance percentage or save percentage or something like that. It was the Dallas game that he had a shutout. There you go. That, it like was, it, I don't know the exact wording to it, but yeah, you are right. It was some sort of record and it was insane for what he did. And that's what I mean. The team in front of him against Dallas was not good. No. They were not playing well. They were not cohesive. He kept them in it and they ended up winning the game by four nothing. Yeah, and, and look, look at that. You you had a game where you bailed out your boys, and the boys, you know, they might have hung you out to dry a little bit, but we bailed them out Saturday. That's what I mean. That's what you need to do. Sometimes the goalie picks you up. Sometimes the team picks up the goalie. It's the way it works. It goes full circle, and it means nothing more than a W on the board, and everybody's happy. But another guy who's really happy on Saturday, William Nylander, he's oh. chasing the bag here. Five-point night. Let's go. This guy is playing his arse off. There's times where he frustrates you. Yes, he always will. That's just Willie Nylander. But the guy can put the puck in the net. The guy can do things that other players can't. And I love that goal against L.A. I love seeing him score twice. I thought he was going to get the Hattie on the power play late in the game against the Flames. But it looked good. He looks good. And I'm liking it. He is he is so consistent right now, and like he is. I I, I saw somebody say I, it might have been on Twitter, and people were saying that like how much of a a pro he is at 
being with the fans and such. And I think it really goes back to his father, how his father has really instilled, like, you know, you are there to, you're, you're not, you're not there to be the public figure. You are there to like serve others due to the fact that you are in the spotlight. Like it is your job to go out and be that guy to those fans. It's your job to, you know, you know, show up in, in tough times, like in a hospital setting and, and such. And he is such a pros pro at, at what he does. And it definitely is now finally showing on the ice. He's doing everything right this year. And I want his jersey next. Well, one thing I really like about William Nylander too is Matt Murray came over to him and skated over to him, pat him on the back on one of the penalty kills. And, you know, just, you know, way to go, Murdoch, whatever he said to him. Those things mean something. Came off the bench and says skating the O-zone, skated back in the D-zone to pat his goalie first and then went about his business. Um, the D wasn't sharp Saturday night. They just weren't. The whole setup wasn't sharp. Um, even Matthews coming in his own, looking at a swing swoop drop pass. Nobody within a thousand miles of that puck, you know, and it goes up ice and ends up being a goal. Uh, everybody was kind of discombobulated. It is what it is. Um, the team found a way to get it done. That's one of the things you'll hear from me a lot this season is in games, finding a way to either lock it down late or finding a way just to get it done because that's what good teams do. They figure it out and they get the job done. Um, the offense kept rolling, which was great. Uh, they were three for six on the power play. I'm going to read you some stuff. Um, they're three for six on the power play, 51% on the dot. Not too bad. We're going to talk more about the dot later on because there's something that's creeping up that's a little bit worrisome for me, and it involves an old wrist injury. We'll see if it might have something to do with it. Um, Hannafin doesn't like the Leafs, by the way. <laughs> Noah Hannafin hates the Leafs. Cadre um, was a greasy little bastard all game. Of course. At least three or four times he could have got a cross-checking penalty. He didn't, which was very odd. You know, but it is what it is. There was enough penalties called against their team. In, in oh, high. yeah. That, that yeah. first period, holy crap. There was, I'm pretty sure the first 10 minutes, there was two or three penalties, no? Yep, it was. It was very filled. And we'll get to that because it's going to lead into the Sutter comments. Bunting is also elevating his game. Oh, his baby. Game, his pest game is coming along in spades, loving the chirping, loving the beaking. Loving the taunting, the whirling of the gloves, the challenging the crowd, loving all of that stuff. Just getting in the opponent's head, and it's working. Because they're working him over in front of the net, even if he doesn't have the puck, the extra crap, <coughs> it's leading to things. It's bleeding into things. No pun intended for the Austin Matthews high stick that almost didn't get called. You know, it's crazy. But um, the other thing I want to talk about in the power play Rasmus Sandin. I know Morgan Riley's going to come back and slot into his spot because that's his spot. But Rasmus Sandin is learning and is doing great work on the power play. Oh, yeah. We wanted this so much sooner, but I don't think it could have been a perfect timing for what for when it happened. That this was a a moment that none of us hoped for. And you know what? He's he has stepped it up, and I he's 
I have, I will applaud that kid for everything that he does. I mean, he's probably working on a contract himself, man. Like, you know, he, I, he bet on himself with signing what he did and, you know, he's, he's, he's getting it done. And I am thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. No, we all should be impressed. And I'm very pumped up. Like I said, we know it's Mo's spot when he comes back, but just imagine adding that kind of lethalness to your second unit and here. We're talking about adding players like Timo Meyer or Tyler Bertuzzi, which means you have to move other players to your second unit, which just means it gets that much more stronger, which is just insane. But let's talk about the old cow in the pasture here, Mr. Daryl Sutter. So I don't know about you, Dylan, but I've watched a lot of Leafs hockey. I'm sure you've watched a lot of Leafs hockey. I don't feel in my heart of hearts that the Toronto Maple Leafs get a lot of benefit of the doubt from the war room, from the penalty calls, from the advantageous give-me plays that Mr. Sutter seems to think the Toronto Maple Leafs benefit from. And his exact comments, you know, coming from Chicago over to play Toronto, you knew what was coming. And he didn't want to comment any further. Now I know this may be classic coaching and deflecting, and he's talking about, you know, those were all penalties. I like what one reporter said. It happened to you last game in Columbus and now here in Toronto. So he's like right about it. So they're obviously going to. But at the same time, maybe your team's just doing dumb stuff. And Absolutely. you're getting involved for it. Absolutely. There was, like you said, there was plays where Kadri made cross-check after cross-check and they weren't called. Malgan getting his face rearranged in the first period and didn't come back until the second. Their um, their team does play semi dirty, man. Like I, I, and I don't think it's I. I can't say it's strictly coming from Sutter, but like it is kind of. No, the, they play it up play to physical likes. kind of play. He does. He he loves physical play, and he Kadri's his type of player, and. You know, when Kadri plays like that, his his other uh, teammates are going to play like that as well. It's just how it goes. Like, uh, you, you're going to bark at the tree when when it's the Leafs due to the fact that there's so much media there. That's all I see here. Oh, yeah. Well, it's going to gain more traction. Like I said, classic deflection by a veteran coach trying to take the heat off his team who, you know, lost in overtime to the Maple Leafs. In a game, they probably should have won, but it is what it is. But for me, just sit there and say to Lisa, get such an advantageous thing. Sorry, sir, I don't know if you've realized, but we haven't made it out of the first round. And one glaring call that a lot of people brought up to me so far in the videos and posts I've made is if we had so much advantageous calls, then Hall wouldn't have got called for that pick. John Tavares' goal would have counted, and who knows what would have happened against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, and let me just remember a, a certain... Doug Gilmore getting high stick and cut by some great one back in the day. But, you know, the Leafs get all the calls. Well, right? Let's also remember how many plays we had this year get called back on us at the beginning of the year where where I remember very vividly Kyle Dubas was swearing on national television. Yep. You, I mean, sorry. He wasn't swearing on national television. He was mouthing on national television, and you, everybody knew what the hell he was saying. So, there, we are not getting 
the benefit of the doubt here, we have worked hard for just about everything that we've earned this year. No, I 100% agree. And that last night, at least, I don't know what the position is now, but put the Toronto Maple Leafs within one point in the Atlantic Division of the big, bad Boston Bruins. So I'm loving the fact. I'm loving the fact that they're catching up. Loving the fact that this may be a team that is just on some sort of heater and is going to do good things. A lot of people saying, well, maybe the Leafs are peaking early. No, the Leafs are just getting it done. The Leafs are getting points in ways that they usually don't get points. Like I said, 13 straight games. And that brings us to the week that will be for the Toronto Maple Leafs right here. And we have ourselves the Anaheim Ducks. This one, for me, is fun. Because we just talked about the power play. Do you know John Gibson is the worst goaltender in the league in terms of allowing power play goals? So he is the highest allowing power play goals in the league. So that bodes well for the Maple Leafs. Get on the power play. Let's go. Also, his numbers, his numbers on the PK are just atrocious. So you feed into that. Get on the power play. Do some damage. Then we have the Rangers, who has been a little waffly. A little waffly. And then we have the Capitals, who apparently are bringing the band back because Nick Backstrom and Tom Wilson are on the road traveling with the Washington Capitals. So that may be something to stir the pot. So, Dylan, what do you think this week brings for Les Maple Leafs? I'm going to go, I want to say it, a clean sweep, but I probably, I'm probably very, very bold saying that. You know what? Yeah, screw it, man. Like, these teams have been very, like, Besides the Ducks, the Rangers and the Capitals are very subpar this year. And I, th- I, I think the Leafs are playing at an all-time high right now. And there's a reason why I said that that Mitch Marner streak is going to get to 25. Um, here's these games right here. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going 3-0-0. All right. All right. 3-0-0. I like this, too. For the month of December, they got three games each week. Same days. It's Tuesday, it's Thursday, it's Saturday. Love it. Way yep. to space it out and make must-watch TV. I'm going to go with the clean sweep as well. Yep. Uh, I think the Leafs are going to do it, but I think they're going to win one in OT. I think they're going to get a little goaltending trouble, and it might be on Saturday night against the Capitals, who play a little bit of an up-tempo, hard kind of game, much yep. like Tampa Bay Lightning and the Calgary Flames. So we'll see, especially if Tom Wilson gets in there. But it's time for one. Don't go ahead, go ahead. It's the return of Nick Abe Kubel if he's in the lineup for the Capitals. <laughs> yeah, you know, bank on that, hammer that money line. You know, if they uh, put him in the lineup, he's scoring a goal. Yeah. Um, now, here's everybody's favorite segment of the week. It's the GBU. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I got the good, man. The good is the goaltending, man. The goaltending will continue to be the good for this team. They pick up three Ws this week, two shutouts. The Saturday night wasn't the greatest, but hey, how can you be upset? All the stats I just read you about this team and save percentage and where they rank, the good's got to be the goaltending. Disagree? No. (laughs) The bad. Here's the bad. The bad is Mr. Matthews and finally finding something negative on Pontus Holmberg. Going to read you some stuff here. The Dallas game this week. The Leafs were a great 60% on the dot. 
but that was mainly backed by one David Camp at a whopping 82% on oh. the game. Matthews, 50% on the dot. Holmberg was 20% on the dot. That hurts. We'll get to this more in a moment. We'll elaborate here. LA game, 50% on the faceoff dot. Do you want to, uh, I know you might know this, but do you want to take a stab at what Matthews' faceoff percentage was in LA? In, uh, against LA, I'm going to go 49. Okay, what about Holmberg? Holmberg. Oh, probably like 16. Well, flip that around. Matthews was at 13% on the faceoff dot. And Pontus Holmberg didn't even make it to 50%. He was at 40% himself. Not good. Not good. And then in Calgary, the faceoff percentage of the game last night, we were at 51%. And I bring this up because faceoffs, I know everybody seems to think they may be a moot point. They're pretty damn important for zone control, whether you're in the offensive zone or defensive zone. But Matthews, 44% against Calgary. Holmberg finally made it to 50. Why do I bring this up? Well, Matthews was pretty damn good on the dot. And he really modeled himself and went as far as to talk about watching Sidney Crosby and how he takes faceoffs and learning his habits and mannerisms on the dot. And he really did elevate his game. His faceoff game was one of the better ones in the league. Not top echelon, but always 50% or better. So seeing these numbers kind of makes me worried about his wrist and especially the offensive problems. But he is on a game heater right now. He is scoring goals. So I'm wondering, maybe it's just a bad stretch. We shall see. Now, Pontus Holmberg is a teacher's pet player right now. Not by his, you know, butt sniffing or whatever you want to call it. But he's just been in Sheldon Keefe's good graces. This is one thing that I can look at and say this player needs to work on. If you're going to be an NHLer and you're going to be an everyday one, if you're on the dot, you have to be better than 20-40%. You have to be up around the 50% mark, winning at least half of your draws. Especially if you're in the bottom six, where it's so crucial because your line is probably going up against the other team's second or first line, trying to wear them down in their offensive zone, or you're getting a D-zone start meaning you need to win the draw for control. So that's why it's important for me. That's why I have it underneath the bad this week because I need to see more out of Matthews and Holmberg. I didn't bring up Camp or Tavares because both players have excellent face-off metrics this year. So there's no point even mentioning them. Like I said, LA game, David Camp was in the 80% range in face-offs. That's just bonkers, but he's money in the bank. That's what he is. He's a defensive Friggin' face-off guy. I love it. But that's the bad for me. What do you think of that? Am I reading too much into it, or did I break it down with numbers enough to, to make it make sense? You know what? You made it. You made a point about, you know, who who is listening in Leafs land on, uh, like, to our podcast. And you know what? If if it is a concern, I de- like, truly, if, if Holmberg does want to elevate his game, this Which is something that he probably – this is something he probably wants to work on himself. Uh, Matthews, for one, I know it probably really pisses him off because he's somebody that, you know, he he picks little, little things about his game and he just wants he wants to win. He's, he's, a, he's a kid with a lot of heart and he goes out there and tries his best every single night. 
Um, now, if if a coach sees this and is watching this microscopically, I could see, you know, hey, uh, Matthews and Holmberg, hey, let's go work on these freaking faceoffs and, and and we'll get something going. And it will be it will be a drill where you're going up against Kampf and you're going to try and win as as many as possible because or have Spezza come into practice. Absolutely, he's somebody that knows how to win the faceoffs, and you know what he. You're right. It's it's gonna it's gonna be something that needs to be worked on for the playoffs. That's for sure. No, it definitely does. And I bring these things up now because you're early enough in the season still. Where I know we're 27 games in, but at the same time, if you start working on your face-off prowess now and different things, it really will help down the line when you need to win that draw. And your Matthews in the offensive zone, and JT gets waved out in the power play. Say it's game six and you need a goal. Yeah. Just saying. Those things are huge factors. But the ugly for this week is simple. We don't need to dwell on it. Mete and Robertson, we lose two more Leafs this week to injury. Mete is, I think, week to week. Obviously, we know Robertson is six to eight weeks. So it sucks. It is what it is. But the, uh, that's the GBU for this week. Now we go around the glass with some NHL chatter. And uh, we got the Heritage Classic coming in October. A little bit warmer for everybody, which is nice. Uh, we got the Battle of Alberta, which will be on tap for that Heritage Classic. I'm pretty pumped to see that. Hopefully, the boys can get cracking outside and have some fun. Wait, when is this? No, it's in October of next year. Oh, okay. The Heritage Classic. So, it will be the Battle of Alberta happening for the Tim Hortons Heritage Classic or whoever gets their namesake attached to it. But and pretty- uh, isn't there one this year, too? I don't think there's a Heritage Classic, though. No. Oh, Okay. Nope, I don't think there's – this will be 20 years to the day for the original Heritage Classic back in Edmonton. So it'll be uh, it'll be nice and warm this time in October at least. At least we hope. So that's a fun one. Uh, another one, Chiara versus Bieksa. Just dumbness. Why this even became a thing. Uh, obviously, this is the, uh, the advent of podcast, right? Things get said that maybe to you in jest – but someone hears it, whether it's putting David Camp on the three-on-three overtime or it's Zidane Chara talking about lifting the cup over his head uh, or, you know, or someone lifting their cup over the head during the, the 2011 playoffs and it having to be brought up and addressed on Hockey Night in Canada. What I find the most weird is he backtracked it a little bit on the podcast, but if they were practicing with the cup passing it around, the cup usually doesn't arrive until six or seven games in when a team is on the brink. So I, I found that part of it hard to believe, but then the story I, morphed that they were just talking about who they would pass it to. That's what I thought. I thought my understanding was like, they were on the ice kind of anticipating like, Oh, Hey, like let's, Oh yeah, this is what we do on the ice. And then we were passing it to this guy, but like, man, like why does this even matter? Like it's something that like well, here's my thing. Like, it doesn't matter, but at the same time, if you're in the Stanley Cup final and you're up two games to none, damn fucking right you're excited. Hell damn yeah, right man. you're probably thinking about, man, if I win the cup and I get the cup over my head, I'm going to pass it to this guy. And maybe you shouldn't think ahead, but tell me a person in the world who isn't up in something thinking they're going to win that isn't thinking ahead. It let's, happens. It's human. Let's also remember, I, I let's think about this, you know, Maybe Vancouver was trying to practice 
so that they wouldn't crack themselves in the face like Chara did when he raised the damn cup. Ooh, it's a Dano drop Chara. Because that's what happened. He freaking bumped his freaking forehead when he lifted up the Stanley Cup and he started bleeding. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's an 11-year-old story. It got brought up on a podcast. It caught fire because Biesa is on TV. That's the reason why it became more of a thing, right? So it, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you're human. Of course, you're going to look ahead and think about things, but it is it is what it is. Weird. I, I uh, would like to get Pete's take on that because he was pretty pumped to listen Listen to that hockey night in Canada. Yeah, I know. We'll uh, we'll get we'll get old Peter the heater back on Wednesday. Uh, there was a brawl at the mullet, an absolute brawl between Phoenix fans and Boston fans, and it didn't matter who you were if you were in the fracas, you were getting decked. And no, I don't condone hitting women, so don't think I think that. And it was just crazy the amount of fists that were flying, and everybody was getting tagged. You know, I I hate to bring this guy's name into it, but uh, you think it was about that that kid that we shall not name. You know, maybe they were both talking. Hey, you know, what what an idiot of a kid, and they were just like, "What do you mean he's an idiot?" Yeah, because those are the two teams that were involved with them. It couldn't have been. It could have been that. It could have been anything, right? But I mean, also there was a bad call called back to that influenced the game. A bad icing is what it was. Man, that uh, ended up changing the fate of the game it didn't even it, it surprises me because i thought mullet arena was you know university kind of grounds but it did not look like university kids that were fighting no 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 that was people in an intimate setting getting ready to rock and rolls rock them sock them it was nuts i don't condone violence or any of that crap but it was wild to see that happen because that's not the first time this season that boston fans have gotten into it whether it's at their own rink or somewhere else. So I'm just I wondering will. if there's maybe something something to burn the saddle in Boston Bruins fans. If you're a Bruins fan, let me know because you guys seem awfully quick to start pelting and swinging this year when it used to be just good years was all you had. Remind me to never go to a playoff game in Boston <laughs> ever if the opportunity presents itself because I feel – Scared. Threatened. <laughs> I'm scared. All right, we'll switch gears off to the uh, the brawl at the mullet to uh, names to watch. We talked about a couple already. Um, names that you got to watch right now around the NHL. Big names, by the way: Timo Meyer, Bo Horvat, Eric Carlson, and Brock Besser. Uh, those are a few of the names right now that are rumored to be on the move. Um, Bo, Bo Horvat seems to be more and more every day. Um, Timo Meyer, maybe not so much, but like I said last show. By the time the Sharks are ready to do something, is he going to be the age you want him to be on the deal you want to have him around at? Probably not. So, you know, they're trying to move him and Carlson. You know they're trying to get younger. So we'll see what happens. Is there a name that jumps out to you right now, Dylan? No, not really. Um, No, these two teams are, you know, kind of stuck in a blender. Um, They're – they're not even really battling it out for last place in that in that division, which kind of sucks. But you know, these are these are two teams that one one with with uh, San Jose, they need to pick what direction they want to go in, and then Vancouver, you need to buckle up and slow down a damn freaking rebuild because you thought it was 
quick and painless, but man, like you've made a lot of mistakes in the process. No, definitely they have. We'll see what happens here with these teams and what it shakes out. There'll be more dropping out of the race as we go and more names available for many teams. And like I've said, I think Toronto's got one big move in them. They may get like one or two players in the deal, you know, like a Horvat and a Shen kind of thing. Not saying those players, folks. I'm not saying least, but if you're going after a team, you're probably going after an A-plus player and then a throw-in player that can plug into your lineup somewhere is what they're going to do. But anyways, guys, it's been a minute, and I'm really excited to do this. Last Sunday, I was away at the wrestling event. And by the way, a little bit of news and notes for the shows. Uh, Offside, we'll be doing a few more wrestling shows. There are some great folks who want to come on. Then it's going to be some fun. So stay tuned for those. Also, we got Pat Greggy, who wants to come on from the National Lacrosse League, which is great. Works for TSN, calls the games. And he's a great guy for the Halifax Thunderbirds team. And then, of course, we have our regular offside hockey talk, just rocking and rolling and having fun. There's always things to do in the offside land. Make sure you check out Manny. There's a few other people who have inquired about dropping articles, so who knows who might roll through and stay by. But, ladies and gentlemen, we're always proudly brought to you by Boxing Rock Brewing Co. And this is the Bearded Blue Warrior segment. Dylan, you go right ahead. You drop the I think this is yours, but I'm going to take it. And I'm going to go with Sheldon Keefe. The man, the man, you're right. The man makes the right calls at the right time. He gets those, uh, he gets those goals called back. So uh, I'm going to call him for my bearded blue warrior. Not a bad one. Not a bad one at all. Mine, mine, I got a double dip here. I got to do it. Mine is double dipping on the same chip, but it's Mr. Kyle freaking Dubas. I got to take this off because it's itching my face. <laughs> what? My bearded blue warriors, Kyle Dubas. And why do I say that? Kyle Dubas has been up against, against the wall, no contract extension. He's going and making minor moves, and the fan base is going crazy. He brings in Matt Murray, Ilya Samsonov. Everybody's freaking out. Both goaltenders playing their arses off, looking great. William Nylander didn't trade him. Surefire looking good. All the moves that he didn't make, like retaining Jack Campbell and such, are paying off. And he's not even excited when the Leafs win right now. Why? Because he's focused on getting the job done. So that's why he's my boxing rock bearded warrior. He is ready to rock and roll, take this team to new heights. And like I said to you and Pete, I would not be surprised if the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Holy Grail and Kyle Dubas leaves. I said that to you guys already. Go back and listen. When all the the blood was being slung at Kyle Dubas earlier this season, I said, you watch. If the Leafs go on and either go on a run or win the Cup, I would not be surprised if Kyle Dubas leaves at the end of it. And I was the first one to say something like that before everybody else thought the same thing. Because if you go back and listen – I said this in the first couple weeks of the season when the Leafs were just horrid and everybody was calling for Kyle Dubas's head. I said, you watch. They'll go on a run or they'll win the cup and he'll leave. He'll walk away because he won't want to deal with it anymore. And then it, what? It, there, there's definitely a lot of stress that comes with being the 
Oh, he's he age. general manager. He's and, age, and it's not phenomenally. No, he's uh, he's young. Let's not forget. But uh, he, in his eyes, he has one job to do, and that's win the damn Stanley Cup. Uh, he did it, or he didn't. He didn't do it. He won the. Uh, wow, I can't even think of the AHL. He won the AHL freaking trophy. And that was his job, and he's buckling up for this this battle here. If he leaves, so be it. But uh, I think he would like to leave on on good terms, not bad. Oh, I think he'd like to leave on good terms. I just think simply he's going to skip out once he's done. And it's not going to be bad terms. It's just going to be like, I'm done. I've done what I feel like I can do here. Yeah, but the, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, then there's the, the debate of, who next? But we won't get into that debate right now because maybe he stays. Maybe I'm dead wrong. You could. You know be I mean? dead wrong. You're right. You could be dead wrong, James. I did. Hey, I've been known to be dead wrong, but you know, sometimes I throw shit at the wall and it sticks. Like David Camp playing on three and three overtime and starting it. Bam! <laughs> I'll stick to that one. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed the show this week. We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of Offside Hockey Talk because this is where the Maple Leafs and hockey comes to talk. Ciao.